It's time for mystery. Mystery Radio X X X Being a private investigator means two things. You can be sure you'll run into trouble, and you can never be sure you'll get out of it. Well, there's not much you can do about it, I guess. Except, like Julie always says... Walk softly, Peter Troy. And now, Peter Troy and the lady who loved larceny. That girl Julia met a moment ago. She'll be back in a while, because if she isn't, my office is liable to fold. But right now, I'd like you to meet a blonde. A platinum blonde. A tall, elegantly dressed blonde. Willowy, smooth, and very, very expensive. Eleven thousand pounds? That's a great deal of money to pay for a bracelet, isn't it? Match diamonds and rubies, madam. Oh, I wasn't complaining. But if my uh, fiancé is to pay that much... Then I should be very careful about my selection, shouldn't I? The um, gentleman standing over by the door. Yes. Well, perhaps if he were to come over. Oh, dear me, no. Poor Jonathan knows nothing about jewellery. He's just content to pay the bill. I should like to see a selection of bracelets in this price group. Oh, certainly, madam. I'll get them from the safe. We have some really exquisite pieces here in our latest collection. Now, if you care to have a look in this tray... I'm sure you'll find something you like. Oh, I'm sure I will. In fact, I like them all. Be so kind as to place them in this bag. In the, um... And make no sudden movements. This gun is loaded, and I shall have no compunction in using it if I have to. And please don't try to ring the alarm bell. I know exactly where it is situated, and I shall pull the trigger if you make a move towards it. You can't get away with this, you know. I can, and I will. The gentleman by the door is watching you very carefully. Here's my accomplice. And he also carries a gun. Now, those bracelets in my bag, please. And hurry. Thank you. You've been most cooperative. You may give the alarm once I'm outside the door. Not before, if you valued your life. Good afternoon. Jackson! Quickly! Come in here! We've been robbed! It was a beautifully executed job. The platinum blonde got clean away together with 35,000 pounds worth of diamond bracelets. However, the police did grab her accomplice, who turned out to be a Mr. Gerard Smythe. But thereby hangs the paradox. For Mr. Smythe maintained that he'd taken no part in the holdup. The police, naturally enough, didn't believe him. So it is we come to the second lady in the case, a tall, elegantly dressed lady. Only this one had hair as dark as midnight on the Nile. Julie ushered her into my office, and she introduced herself as... Smythe. Uh, Geraldine Smythe, Mr. Troy. Uh, won't you sit down, Miss Smythe? Thank you. Cigarette? Please. Smythe. That's right. Geraldine Smythe? Gerard Smythe. He's my brother. Ah. Uh, I gather you read the account of the holdup in the newspapers. Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, it's right here in front of me. And what did you make of it, Mr. Troy? Well, it uh, seems your brother didn't move fast enough. Do you really believe he was her accomplice? Miss Smythe wasn't there. I just know what I read in the papers, that's all. But here they seem to go along with the idea that the two of them were in the thing together. I have here 100 pounds in cash. I should like to retain your services to prove that Gerard had nothing whatsoever to do with that hold-up. I see. One question, Miss Smythe. Yes? Did he? Did he what? Oh, come on now. Mr. Troy... You're offering me that money for one of two reasons. Either you know he was part of the setup and you want me to uh, somehow break the police case against him. Or... Or else you're on the level. You honestly don't think he had anything to do with the stick-up. Well, I'd just like to know which it is, that's all. I see. Now, before we go any further, you'd better know that I wasn't born yesterday. A hundred pounds or a hundred times that amount doesn't make me want to go along with any snide deal. Mr. Troy, if you have any idea... I value my license, Miss Smythe. There are some people around this city who'd like to revoke it. Unorthodox we may be, but crooked, we are not. 
How do I make myself clear? If your brother was involved in that robbery, then he's going to have to take the rap. Well, I've said my piece. Now you say yours. My brother has a police record, Mr. Troy. Well, it's been nice talking to you, Miss Smythe. At present, he's bankrupt. In the past, he's foolishly written out checks when there have been no funds to meet them. He's silly, stupid, thoughtless. But he is not a criminal. Mm. What's the story, then? A woman rang him up yesterday morning. She was able to copy my voice exactly. She made an appointment to meet Gerard at Matilliers at 2.30 that same afternoon. And at 2.35, Matilliers was robbed of 35,000 pounds worth of diamond bracelets. And Gerard was there. You see, he thought he was meeting me. Well, the police don't believe the story. No one does. I doubt whether you'll prove an exception. But I thought... Sit down again, Miss Smythe. You mean... We've got a lot of things to discuss. You're going to take the case? And not just for the money, either. My creditors would kill me for saying that. Then... Now, I'll soon know if you're handing me a phony line. If you are, you're going to be very sorry, Geraldine. I assure you, Mr. Troy... Now, Peter, it saves time. Well, now, let's have Julia and get some of this down in writing. That man with the red head at the corner table? Yes, Peter Troy, Canadian. Harry says he's a private eye, dangerous and snoopy. He's been asking questions. About what? About Gerard Smythe. He said someone told him that Smythe used to come here a lot. Go on. He seems to be checking up. He wants to know the name of any blonde woman who comes here. Rachel, he's bad medicine. He's got a tough reputation. He's not the only one, is he? Someone told him that Smythe used to come here a lot. Geraldine, Smythe's sister. Yes, that's logical. She's probably called in a private detective to try and clear her brother. And Troy is just the one to do it. Rachel, I don't I'll like... fix it. You can't fix a man like that. Can't I? Don't underestimate me, Fedor. People are always doing that. And they live to regret it. Troy is going to do the same. You know, there are times, Peter, when being your private secretary and general factotum has its advantages. I bet not many working girls get taken to places like the club, Rachel. Yeah, well, that's fine, Julie, but may I remind you we're here on business? Geraldine said... Uh-huh. Geraldine. Miss Smythe uh-huh. said that her brother used to haunt this place. Okay, so the girl who rang him up posing as a sister knew him and her. It has to be only a passing acquaintance. Otherwise, Gerard would have recognized the girl in the jewelry store. Recognized her immediately. So you think perhaps it's someone who's met him quite casually? Yeah, and probably in some place like this. Uh, I don't see any platinum blondes here. Though. Oh, Pete. Hmm? I'm going to tell you some of the facts of life. Such as? A lady's crowning glory can take on as many hues and colors as the rainbow. So? Bleach and hair dye. She may have been a platinum blonde when she held up that jewelry shop, but she could be brunette, redhead, raven, or bald by now. Raven? Raven. Like Geraldine's smile. I'd just like to know what color her hair is at the roots. You, my sweet, have a nasty, suspicious mind. Oh, it comes from working for a nasty, suspicious boss. Only where the ladies are concerned, he's sometimes just a babe in arms. Excuse me, Mr. Troy. Yeah? You're wanted on the telephone, sir. A Miss Geraldine Smythe. Oh, where's the phone? You can take it over at the reception desk, sir. Thank you. Excuse me, Julie. Back in two ticks. Hello, this is Peter Troy. Oh, hello, Mr. Troy. This is Geraldine. I'm so glad I caught you. I thought you'd be at the club, Rachel. Look, I've just found out something of vital importance. Oh, yeah? I can't tell you about it over the phone, and I can't come to the club. Can you meet me right away? Well, I... There's a little park just two blocks down from the club, on the opposite side of the road. I'll be sitting on the bench by the fountain. Hurry, please. Now, wait a minute. Hey, waiter. Uh, yes, sir. Look, would you tell the lady at my table I've been called away urgently? I won't be long. And uh, see that she has anything she wants for you? Uh, very good, sir. But uh, you will miss the floor show. It's just about to start. And Madame Rachel, the owner of the club, has a fabulous act. Yeah, well, I'll catch it next time. Uh, very good, sir. I'll give the lady your message, Mr. Troy. 
Geraldine. She sends her what apologies, the... Mr. Troy. Don't turn yeah. around. And this thing will go off. You really fell for her line, didn't you, Mr. Troy? Yes, I really did. Together with her apologies, Geraldine sends you a little present, Mr. Troy. Is it loaded? Look at the fountain. Keep your eyes on it, Troy. Look at the cool, dark water. Not very deep, is it? But a man could drown there. I believe you. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Let me prove it to you. <laughs> yes, a man could quite easily drown in there. Well, it didn't look so good for Geraldine Smythe. Right then, it didn't look so hot for me either. A million years, I wouldn't have guessed there was a trap waiting for me in that little park. The guy, whoever he was, had slugged me with the butt of his gun. Uh, I guess I'd have passed out, but he gave me a push into a fountain. Cold water brought me back to earth with a bang. I lay possum in the water for a second or two, waiting for him to make his next move. Then things got a little confused, because I distinctly heard his footsteps running off. I still made no move. I just lay face down, holding my breath, listening. And sure enough, moments later, I heard some footsteps coming back. Then a hand grabbed the back of my coat collar. I swung around, ready to land him. Uh, take it easy, Troy. Uh, Caswell! Come on, come on now. Let me give you a hand out of there. Let's see you on the Come on, up you go. That's Caswell. Inspector Caswell. Now, what in the blue blazes are you doing here? Yes, well, I suppose I could ask you the same question. Oh. <laughs> you know, there must be some bylaw about swimming in city fountains. Oh, thanks for the help. But how did you get on the scene? Quite simple. You see, we've had Geraldine Smythe under surveillance since we arrested her brother. She came to your office, so we put a shadow on you, too. Oh, thank you. You're as bad as Mellonby. Yeah, we saw you go to the Club Rachel. An hour later, our man saw you leave the place in the very devil of a hurry. He radioed me because he thought you were on something. So I took a police car and came straight out here. Lucky I did, it seems. Tell me, did you uh, see anyone running away from here? No, not actually. I heard someone, but too dark to catch up with him now. Who was he? Don't give the faintest idea. So, you know, you really do get yourself into some scrapes, don't you? <laughs> yeah, bless you. Oh. Better get in some dry clothes. You'll catch your death of cold. <clears throat> Inspector, I nearly caught my death of drowning. And on two feet of water, that's humiliating. Yes. Well, come along. Over to the car. Um, don't tell me anything about it. You know about as much as I do. Geraldine Smythe offered me a nice fat fee if I could find some evidence that would clear a brother. A bit of an optimist, aren't you? Got a cast-iron case against Smythe. All right. Maybe his cute little sister is the stick-up artist after all. The guy that slugged me said that it was her idea. And she phoned me at the club, Rachel, to meet her here. Yeah. All seems to add up. Yet... Wait a minute. She phoned you at the club, Rachel? Yes, ten minutes ago. Well, don't be silly. That's impossible. Now, look, Maury, I tell you... I'm and just... I tell you that Geraldine Smythe has been sitting in a cinema in Leicester Square for the past two hours, and there's a Scotland Yard man sitting right behind her. I had a report from him during the interval. She hasn't been out of his sight. But she couldn't have phoned you. Now, look, I know what I... Hey, now, wait a minute. Maybe that figures. How do you mean salesman at the jewelry store said the woman spoke with an exaggerated accent, right? Yeah. Before that, Gerard Smythe received a phone call from someone whose voice was exactly like his sister's. Uh Then I get a phone call, and I'd swear it was Geraldine Smythe. Yep. Maury, we're looking for someone who's very clever at disguising the voice. Mimic. And a mighty good one, too. And another thing. That guy at the fountain didn't intend to kill me at all. He could have used that gun and still escaped. Oh, here we are. I'll be in. 
Driver, take us to Mr. Troy's flat in Chelsea, will you? It's just down the way from his office. Very good, sir. All right. So he didn't intend to kill you? No, he just wanted me to think Geraldine had sent him. An attempt to frame her. They want me to think that she and her brother worked together on the hold-up. Well, by diverting attention from someone else. Yeah. Troy, are you asking me to believe that this was a solo job? Well, it looks like it to me. I wonder. Look, I got that phone call at the club Rachel, right? Now, only my secretary and Geraldine Smythe knew I was going there. So the call had to come from a tip-off from the club. Now, the answer just has to be there somewhere. Just to change your suit? Well, of all the corny excuses. Yes, well, he, uh, he really did have to change his suit. Miss Summers, I'll vouch for that. You backing him up, Inspector? Now, that's what I call an unholy alliance. Anyway, you missed a darn good floor show, Peter, and I had crepe Suzette smothered in brandy and another bottle of uh, Clicquot. Well, bang goes our commission on this job. Anyway, let's have a look at the menu. I'm starving. The dinner's on me, Maury, and... Oh, thank you. Well, I'll be... What's the matter? Price is too steep? The program of the floor show is listed on the other side of the menu. Yeah, well, what about it? The star attraction. Here, read it. Well, by popular demand, Madam Rachel, your hostess, returns to the footlights to give you her impressions of famous voices from the stage and screen. Yeah, impressions of famous voices. Get it? She's an impersonator, a mimic. Just a minute, are you trying to say that the owner of this club is a stick-up artist? Well, you missed the act. It was fabulous. It... Stick-up artist? You mean... Julie, can you see her? Is she anywhere around the place? Yes, over by the reception desk, the tall redhead. Redhead? We're looking for a platinum blonde. Now, Julie, explain the facts of life to the inspector, will you? Uh, uh, Just a minute, where are you going? Somewhere backstage, you must have a dressing room. If I find a bottle of peroxide and a bottle of hair dye in that dressing room... And I think we're onto something, Inspector. Now, listen, Troy. Now, wait a minute. There's nothing to stop me having a look back there, is there? I don't need search warrants for that. Back soon. Oh, dear. There's going to be trouble. I just know it. No wonder Mellonby was so keen to get away on his vacation. Troy and trouble are practically synonymous. Something here somewhere. Dash it all, that's not the sort of thing you can hide away. Looking for something, Troy? Well, now, that's a familiar voice. You're one of these fellows who just can't take a hint, aren't you? Uh, you, Well, so I've been told. Yes. You find anything of interest, Troy? Well, I didn't find what I was looking for. Like what? There was something else. Hmm? What? This platinum blonde wig. (laughs) You know, I'll bet it fits snugly over Rachel's red hair, huh? You've just talked yourself into a grave, Troy. Harry, I... What's he doing here? Snooping. He's found the blonde wig. I see. So do I. Now... It's not going to do you any good, Mr. Troy. The car's outside. Take him somewhere quiet. A drive in the night air will do you both good. All right, move, Troy. And no funny business. With all that racket going on in the club, no one would hear a shot. We're making for the back door. It's opposite in the corridor. Late show starting. Fingers the curtain. You know, it's uh, too bad I didn't get to see your act, Rachel. You got a free sample of it over the house phone, Mr. Troy. You'll excuse me, I know. I have to get ready for the late show. I'll leave you in Harry's very capable hands. Now, Troy, as we walk out into the corridor, keep your eyes straight in front of you. And remember, I'm right behind you. And I don't much care where I let you have it. Come on, you girls. Turn, Mr. Curtin. Places now. Oh, Come on, Mr. Curtin. Keep moving, Troy. Hi, Harry. Here's your friend. Oh, he's nice. Now ask 
him if he wants to do anything after the show. Get out of the way, you girls. Ladies, I love you. Let the gun go off now, Harry, and you'll really start a riot. No. Look, I'm warning you. That's for the ducking, Harry. Uh, just a little difference of opinion, ladies, that's all. On your feet, Harry. Now you just remember I can squeeze the trigger on this gun of mine quicker than you can reach for yours. You'll get back inside the dressing room. Make way, girls. Go on inside, Harry. Harry, what the... Now, here's your playmate, Rachel. Keep each other company whilst I send one of the ladies of the chorus for a pal of mine. Inspector Caswell of Scotland Yard. He's sitting at my table. Oh, Harry, you bungle! Oh. Which one of you girls would like to earn a bottle of champagne? Harry was... was outside in the car. Rachel staged the stick up, used Gerard Smythe as a diversion. Hmm, it worked perfectly. They concentrated on holding Gerard whilst Rachel made a getaway. Exactly. Now, would you uh, please concentrate on the music and the dancing? Mm-hmm. Pete? Yes, honeybun. That um, bottle of champagne for the chorus girl. Hmm? Now, just for record, how do I list that as working expenses? <laughs> well, you're the secretary, honey. It's your problem. Yes, well, I... Oh! What's the matter? My feet. You're treading on them. Sorry. Just, uh, walk softly, Peter Troy. <laughs> Carefully applied makeup, a thin veil covering half the face, a very professional, exaggerated accent, and the Titian haired Rachel became a soft, willowy, flaxen beauty. But just about as lethal as a truckload of TNT. Oh, she needed the money from her jewelry hall to pay a stiff mortgage on her club. The place was an hawk deeper than the bass fiddle's G note. And that's why the gal with a thousand voices had to go back in front of the footlights. She'd found out about Gerard Smythe having a police record, and she watched his sister carefully. Watched and listened to Geraldine talking. The rest you know about. Oh, she and Harry got ten years apiece, and the lady doesn't love larceny anymore. Now, another mystery on Mystery Radio XXX. The National Broadcasting Company presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Sam Spade, Detective Agency. Me, sweetheart. Say. Now, take it easy. The papers are on the street. I saw them. So did I. There'll be some red-faced editors ducking behind their green eye shades tomorrow. What do you mean, Sam? You don't plan up the score until the returns are all in, F. This applies to presidential elections, boxing matches, and executions at San Quentin Prison. Sam, you mean Willie? I mean Willie. Batten down the hatches and turn over your foam rubber cushion, Wonder Girl, for even now I'm homeward bound with a stride-by-stride account of a 12-hour marathon, which I shall call, for obvious reasons... The hail and farewell, caper. Transcribed for NBC, William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, brings you the greatest private detective of them all, starring Stephen Dunn in The Adventures of Sam Spade. I've been robbed. Heffy! Right in here this minute. Oh, yes, sir. Have 
I done something? That's what I was about to ask. Have you been sticking your delightful, freckle-covered, upturned little nose into my schnapps bottle? <laughs> well, answer me, girl. Sam, you know I don't do... All right, then who? Well, the nervous little man who was here did open the drawer to find a pencil and paper and, and leave a note. Okay, you're clear. Oh, Sam, what about the little man? A good and leading question, F. Shall we attempt an answer? Oh, I'm at the ready, Sam. Shoot. Date, fill it in. To Justice Edward Benjamin, State Supreme Court from Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Subject, the hail and farewell caper. Dear Justice Benjamin. My relationship with the spindly little man goes clear back to a week ago, Thursday. Possibly even before that. But that was the day I first noticed him. I remember it was Thursday because I was having corned beef and cabbage at Schroeder's. With him, it was a glass of water at the next table. He was paying little mind to the menu, having decided to spend the lunch hour staring at me. A couple of times, he put down his glass of water and pushed back his chair as if he were going to come over and talk. But he changed his mind. I put away the corned beef and cabbage and was halfway past the pie when he finally did it. Uh, excuse me, sir. Hello? You, uh, you, sir, are Mr. Spade? I am. The uh, detective, Sam Spade, detective agent? At your service, sir. Now, what can I... I, uh, I, uh... You see, I, uh... Do you have a match? I gave him a match, and he thanked me and went out. On Friday, I saw him in Ben's grotto over a plate of wrecked soul. We got just about as far, then he returned the match he owed me. The following week, I saw him four times. Once as I was going into a show, once at the post office, and twice as I was going into my office building. Each was the same. We'd get up to the point where he was about to tell me something. Then he'd back down and ask me what time it was, or did I have a horse in the fifth at Golden Gate, or would I lend him a cigarette? Then he'd bustle off as fast as his spindly little legs could carry. And thus matters stood yesterday. Place, my office, time, 1.37 p.m. Sam Spade. Mr. Spade, is this, this, this is a gentleman who... who yeah, is... don't tell me I know the voice. Now, what is it this time? I like to see you, Mr. Spade. I must see you. I know. I'll save us both a trip. The date is April 26th. The time is 1.38 p.m. All trains, planes, and streetcars are leaving on schedule. And for the favor to Golden Gate tomorrow, consult your nearest bookie. Please, please, sir. Please, Mr. Spade. Please, do not jest. This is a matter of life and death. I see. Fine. Then I'll see you tomorrow for lunch, huh? I won't be here, Mr. Spade. Oh, where'll you be? Dead. Look, look, I'm tired of this, Mr. Spinley. Give it to me straight or sign off. Now, what is it? You've got to listen to me, Mr. Spade. It's most important. It's a life or death. It's a life... Hello? Mr. Spinley? Hello? It almost seemed as if he were in earnest this time, so I didn't hang up. I hustled down the hall to the next office, found another phone, and sweet-talked the supervisor into tracing down Mr. Spinley. It was a pay booth in a drugstore opposite the Park Emergency Hospital. The clerk in the drugstore was just getting over it when I punched in. Spinley had collapsed in the booth and had been hauled across the street to the hospital. On the bed there. Oh, thanks, doctor. Life and death, Mr. Spade. Terrible. You've got to stop it. It's murder. He's been legal muttering murder. like that ever since we brought I him in. Yeah, hop, huh? The legal kind. You see before you an overdose of sleeping tablets. You mean he tried to kill himself? I can't think of an easy way anyone could feed him two full bottles, can you? Pull through? Probably. I gave him a good pumping. Don't let them do it. Don't. Don't. All right. It's murder. Right. Now, murder. now, Mr. Doe, don't carry on so. But I know who did it. I, I, you must stop him. All right. All right. I, I know who is Take it. Take it easy. I, Boy, he's got a lot of strength for a little guy. Mr. Doe, huh? No name. Yeah, nothing to identify him. Funny thing, that. What do you mean? I'd almost guarantee the man's undernourished, hasn't eaten for days, shabby clothes and so on. Yet look at the roll I found in his pocket. Huh? How much? Almost $800. Oh, did you find anything else? Yeah, this. Huh? What do you make of it? Well, front page of the Star Times. It's a galley proof, isn't it? The kind that run off in the linotype room before they start the presses. Yeah. Killer dies tonight. Willie Johnson, hitchhike murderer, to enter gas chamber at midnight. Uh, innocent, innocent man. It's, right. it's murder, it's murder. Down you go, Mr. Doe. But, but I know who did it, sir. I know everything. I, uh, everything. I uh, know. A frame. It's a skillful frame. You mean Willie Johnson? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I know who it was. It was, it was hail and farewell, sir. Hail Farewell. Who was it? Come on, Mr. Doe. Wake up. Mr. Doe. Yeah. 
I was waiting for that. Hit him? Like a ton of bricks. He'll be incommunicado for the next 24 hours or longer. Hail and farewell. A broken down actor. Huh? Only an actor would think more of an exit line than an innocent man's neck. You mean you believe he knows? I don't know what I believe. The guy's been trailing me for ten days, driving himself nuts, tries to knock himself off. It's a cinch he believes it. Hmm. Well, there's no chance of bringing him around before tomorrow. Yes, and Willie Johnson dies tonight. So what happens? So I'm stuck for taxi fare to San Quentin. Believe in him? Believe in Willie Johnson? Yeah, I know you're his lawyer, Mr. Grayson. I'm I... his lawyer because I volunteered to serve you, Mr. Spade. I've been in the law a long, long time. I've defended a lot of phonies. Sometimes you've got to if you want to eat. They all sing the same song. I was framed. Oh, I know all 89 verses. But Willie... Yeah? Willie's song is different. Because Willie Johnson's an innocent man. Willie was framed. Hmm. Four appeals... Four appeals, four stays. And we've had our last one. It's folded up now, Spade. I'm going to take the walk with him at midnight. So do something for me, will you? Sure, sure. When... When you walk into a cell, remember you're talking to a man who's going to die in less than eight hours. We're trying to... We're trying to build his spirit up so he can go out with the colors flying, you know? Don't give him a lot of false hopes, Spade. Because... Because there isn't any. I don't quite understand, Mr. Spade, sir. I told my story so many times. I, uh... I'd like to write something about you for the papers, Willie. Oh. Yes, sir. But all the newspaper gentlemen been here and gone. Yeah, I know. Could you tell it just once more, Willie? Well, all right, sir. It's more than a year ago, I guess you know that. Yeah. I was broke, you know. Mm. Things hadn't been going so well, sir. I was down to my last two bits that night. I walked into Sherry Dugan's. That's the bar on the waterfront, huh? Yes, sir. I got to talking with a fella sitting at the bar there. He bought me beer. Who was he? I never did find his name. I ain't seen him since that night. If I could find him, I don't reckon I'd be where I am, sir. Uh. He had a paper with him. Was reading the classified ad section. You know the part about Otto's transportation song? Yeah. Well, there was an ad there. I'd say, we'll pay $500 plus expenses to drive car to Mexico City with a phone number. Uh-huh. And the fellow said if he were my shoes, he'd call up and inquire. So I did. I inquired. Uh, and I got the job. Uh-huh. Well, sir, about an hour later, I met a man with a car at Southern Mason by the gas station there. And he gave me the 500 and I start out for Mexico City. Who was he, Willie? Never found his name, either. We tried to, Mr. Grayson. Me. Never could find him. I see. Well, it, it was raining that night, sir. I remember. It was raining. And I hadn't gotten more than 50 miles south of town, somewhere around Morgan Hill it was, hmm. when a siren blew off behind me. And the first thing I knew, well, they was asking me questions about a girl. A girl named Georgia Lyon. Uh-huh. It was her car, it seems, and the, the officer claimed I stole it. They, they made me raise my arms, and they, they searched me, and, and there was a knife in my pocket, you see, with, with blood on it. Mm. There, and I, I, I don't know how it got there, and the $500, that had blood on it, too. And, and there was blood on the seat. And, and, and when they opened the turtle back, there she was. This Georgia Lyon, I told you. Uh-huh. All double up there, and dead, and they... They said I'd done it for the money in the car, and I, I, I guess I just went crazy, Mr. Spade, with a, with this all coming at me at once that way. You see, I, I tried to make a break for it, and I got away. And uh, I know I knew it was a terrible wrong thing to do. I know it. Yeah, what about the trial, Will? Well, sir, Mr. Grayson done everything in his power, mm. and, and so did I. Mm. I. Told the truth as close as I could recollect it, but it didn't make no sense. We never found a man in a bar or the man who drove up in the car. What about the phone number in the ad? Oh, that that turned out to be a fancy dress. That turned out to be a fancy dress shop on Powell Street called uh, Mason Francine. Mm-hmm. And the classified ad, sir, that, that was the queerest thing of all. Well, what do you mean? Well, Mr. Grayson went through every newspaper in the country for two weeks either side of the night. And there wasn't any such ad in any of them. Mm-hmm. So they said I was lying. 
They said I was lying. I made it all up. I ain't my hay. Now, now they're going to kill me for it. Yeah. I don't know, Mr. Spade. I've heard it so long now. Maybe I did kill her. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. But there was something in the way he said, maybe they're right. I told you they were wrong. I thanked him and told him I had what I wanted for my story and said goodbye. There was no hope in his face, but no despair either. He knew what was coming and he was ready. And that's all. I hit the homeward-bound commuters on the wrong side of the Golden Gate Bridge, so it was almost seven when I checked in at Cherry Dugan's bar on the waterfront. A girl was sitting three stools down from me, a class-type dame in a black file suit from Magnum's. And a hat that must have set some good-time Charlie back 50 bucks. Not the kind of a dame you'd expect to be sitting in Sherry Dugan, least of all, as drunk as she was. Well, here you are, Jack. Sixty cents. Thank you. Wait, wait a minute. Huh? This is a one-man operation, isn't it? Mm, yes, why? Well, then you'd be Sherry Dugan, hmm? <laughs> no, no, I, I bought the joint from Sherry a few months back. Why? Well, I'm, uh, I'm doing a story for the papers on Willie Johnson. Tell me, was Sherry here on the big night? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Only Willie Johnson wasn't. You could look it up, what Sherry testified. Where is he now? Oh, South America. And there he'll stay. You know why? Why? Sherry has brains. For a man in his shoes, there's no better place right now than South America. Oh? Well, tell me more. He needed a rest the worst way Sherry did. After all, he'd been through. Tending bar can be difficult at times, right, Tim? Uh, yes, indeed, yes, indeed. Show me a good bartender, and I'll show you a barn diplomat. And more besides. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the sherry, wherever he is. Keep running, Sherry, keep running. You know, Sherry's like a dog running away from a can tied to his tail. We all are. Who's we? All of us, all of us, the world. Give me another drink, Tim. Oh, now, listen, lady, I don't think I'd better... Don't give me any lip. This is a first-class wake, isn't it? A send-off for Willie, isn't it? Well... Poor! Marilyn, what are you doing here? Well, just in time, Georgie. Sit down. Come on, we're going home. Take your time, George. Two of the members present, one more, will have a quorum. Pour him a drink, Tim. You want me to carry you out of here? Might be fun. Where's Daddy? Facing the floor. Now, come on. You know something, George. You've got a can tied to your tail, too. No use running, George. Oh, you're out of your head. Whatever made you come here? Kind of appropriate, don't you think? Special night tonight. What? Yes, you'll fix it. Gonna have us awake. Not here we aren't. Are you coming? Nope. All right. Where, where are we going? Going home. Bye, Timmy. And you, whoever you are. Hey, wait, wait, wait. How about... How about hold it, hold it. How much does she owe you? Right, that's 345. Uh, here. It's worth it. Now tell me, who is she? Oh, uh, it's a model. Some dress shop uptown. Oh? Like the Maison Francine, for instance? Yeah. How'd you know? That's the hunch. What's her name? Oh, Marilyn Hale. Her old man runs the Star Times, you know, the publisher. Yeah. The guy is his partner, George Farewell. You must have heard of the firm Hale and Farewell. I had, but it was a slightly different reading from the one Mr. Spindley gave me at the hospital. I looked at my watch. Willie was four and a half hours from the end of the line when I took off with a press room at the Star Times. You are listening to the weekly adventure of radio's most famous detective, Sam Spade. chimes mean good times on NBC. There's fun and music for you tomorrow evening with the Dennis Day Show. There'll be songs by Dennis and another typical tangled comedy situation, the kind of hilarious mix-up that could happen only to Dennis Day. And now, back to the hail and farewell caper, tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. Time, 
I got out of the elevator in the basement of the Star Times building on Mission Street and started looking for the press room foreman, somebody named Joe Fortescue. I finally found his feet sticking out from under a sick linotype, hauled him out, and tried to make him understand what I wanted. Yeah, I know, I know who you mean. I know, a little bandy-legged guy. That... Can't hear you. I say, I say, he's a little bandy-legged guy. Yeah, that's the guy. Hello, what about him? Come on. Go ahead, you first. Ah, now, who is he? Oh, Charlie Forrest, he's not... I know, but that's not what I can... Been off his rocker for a year. Look, you see that picture on the wall over your head? Yeah. That's Mr. Hale. The Iron Fist won't tolerate no inefficiency, you understand? But this screwball, this Charlie Forrest, I personally can him twice. And both times, Iron Fist sends him back to me. So so, don't make no never mind to me, brother. Leave him come to work, Stude, all the time. Leave him lay off for two straight weeks like this time. (laughs) Don't make no never mind. Yeah, yeah, now look, I'm up with you now. How long's Charlie been this way? Oh, a year or so. I know just when it started. When Willie Johnson was hauled in on the hitchhiking killing, right? Oh, you've been talking to Charlie, huh? Yeah. Well, funny thing how that hit him. You'd find him sitting in a corner by himself, mumbling all the time about the guy being innocent. Mm-hmm. What do you suppose Charlie had to do with that? Oh, I don't know. Got real crazy toward the end, you know. Said he was killing Willie Johnson. And you'd ask him with what, and he'd say a linotype machine and a hunk of newsprint. One day he even offered to prove it, you know. How? Oh, I don't know. He said he had proof. He said he had the evidence that would save Willie's neck. Hid in his room. Boy, <laughs> was the office trolley. Look, I've, I've got to find out where he lives. They don't know upstairs. I don't know. We don't know downstairs, neither. He moved out of his apartment three weeks back, and don't nobody know where he went. Look, he was in this morning. Picked up a galley proof of page one. Uh, that's right. Yeah. I'll tell you who might know where to find him. Oh, come on, come on. Yeah, about ten o'clock, he leave here. Said he was going to look him up. Somebody, uh, somebody named Spade. Thanks. Sam Spade. He's a detective. That remains to be seen. A bandy-legged little guy named Charlie Forrest, F. He must have been in around 10, 10.30 this morning. Oh, dear, I didn't get here till 11. Uh, They're still clearing stuff off the tracks from the MacArthur reception. Yeah, never mind that now. Listen, write this down. Oh, oh, where did I find a piece of paper? Hurry up. Here, here, under the ashtray. Yeah. Go ahead, Sam. Call Jeremy Grayson. He's a lawyer, and he's with Willie Johnson in the death row at Quentin. Tell him to get hold of a justice on the state Supreme Court and hold the line open until I get him. You got that? Yes, sir. Is there anything else? No, I'll get back to you in a little while. Sam, wait a minute. Don't hang up. What's the matter? <gasps> this paper I'm writing on under the ashtray. It's a note. Well, go ahead. Mr. Spade, please contact me at once. Charles W. Forrest, Bellflower Hotel, 338 Stockton Street. It took 20 more minutes to cross town and 10 on top of that to convince the clerk at the Bellflower I had a right to the key to Charlie's room, which I had not. I tossed the room from the light fixture to the floorboards, covered everything from the window shades to the bathroom plumbing. Result, one batch of dirty laundry, six soggy cigarettes, and two empty bottles of sleeping pills. I was on my way out when I remembered one more thing. It wasn't an accident like in the movies. It was on purpose. I unscrewed the tops of the iron bedposts. Inside number three, I found it. There was a payphone at the end of the dark hallway. Sam, I warned you about this. We've had four stays. They won't come through with a fifth. I've got a fair whole card, Grayson. Did you get the judge? Yeah, Benjamin, State Supreme Court. What'd he say? What I knew he'd say. No evidence, no stay. Tell him I got evidence. It better be good, Sam. It is. A phony newspaper, a copy of the Star Times for the night of the murder with a special page in the classified section carrying the ad that Willie answered. How does that sound? You've got it now? Yeah. Well, for Pete's sake, hang on to it. I'll get back to the judge. Say, wait a minute. Uh, who, uh, who's behind it? It's a long story. I'll tell you when I see you. Hang up. Uh, when you what? Spade. Spade. Hang up or I'll kill you. Spade. That's it. You can turn around now. Well, Iron Fist. We've met. I've seen your picture, Mr. Hale. It flattered me, no doubt. Give it to me. What? The paper, stupid. I haven't read the funnies. All right, Mr. Spade, if you'd rather. <laughs> Iron Fist knew other games besides publishing. He moved up, I went for the gun, which suddenly wasn't there, and he was giving me a fast demonstration of judo for beginners. First thing you know, I was sprawled on the floor, and he was looking down at me along the barrel of his thirty-eight. <laughs> I could kill you, I suppose, but why? Why? He backed off toward the window, spread out the paper, and crumbled it up. No. You know what you're doing with that match, Hale. Shut up. You're burning Willie Johnson at the stake. I said shut up. 
He touched the match to the pile of papers, watched them flare suddenly, lighting up the entire hallway. He looked like a medieval devil. I'm sorry about Willie Spade, but it has to be, that's all. It has to be. What did you have to do with Georgia Lyon? Nothing. Nothing at all. And her name wasn't Georgia Lyon, really. It was her stage name. Helen? Um, her real name was Farewell. Your partner's wife? Why, Spade, didn't you read the testimony at the trial? She was leaving George that night. She'd made a noble decision to walk out of his life and leave him free. For your daughter, huh, Marilyn? That's right. And it was such a tragedy Georgia had to run into Willie Johnson the very night she left. Wasn't it, Spade? <laughs> Wasn't it? He bent over the fire, watched it die down into a pile of ashes. I was looking at something else. A draft from the stairwell behind me had picked up a glowing scrap and set it down at the foot of a sleazy window curtain behind him. <laughs> well, that's it, Spade. The last of Willie Johnson. The last of... I hit him at the knees as the curtain went up in a blinding flash. No judo this time, just an old-fashioned hammerlock. Here we go. Come on, give me that gun. No. I'll break your arm, Hill. I'll break your arm. Well, that's better. Now get up. Get up. Hail, stop. Hail. hit the top of the stairway. He took off like an eagle, lit on his neck halfway down, and toppled the rest of the way like a loose-packed sack of laundry. He was dead when I got to him. Score, with an hour and five minutes to play, no evidence, one dead witness, one unconscious one, one killer, an accomplice at large. There was only one way left to go, and I took it. Floor, please. George Farewell's apartment. That's the penthouse. Yeah, is he home? Oh, I don't know what's the matter up there, sir. I, I think something's wrong, awfully wrong. Mm. He went up there early this evening with a young lady, and the door to the roof is locked at the eighth floor. That's never happened before. Any other way up? Well, you might try the fire escape if it's urgent. It is. So I climbed the fire escape at the eighth floor and went up onto the roof, or rather into George Farewell's patio. I worked my way through a maze of potted shrubbery around a fish pond with a fountain in the middle. Piano music was coming through a pair of French doors. But before I saw where the music was coming from, I knew it was the radio and not the piano. Because the piano, a 14-foot grand, had George Farewell sprawled across the keyboard with a bullet through his head. I crossed to the set of French doors on the other side of the house. There I saw her, standing up on the three-foot parapet surrounding the roof, looking eight floors down into the street. Don't come any closer. You're not really going to jump, Marilyn. He did it his way. I'm going to do it mine. Don't come any closer. Don't. I won't. So George shot himself, huh? Why not? Can't go through life with a can tied to your tail. No running away from that. No, there isn't. Well, you're going to jump? Give me time. Oh, you want to do it the dramatic way, don't you, Marilyn? Only 35 minutes left until Willie checks out over at the... Shut up, shut up! And to make it really ironic, you'll want to take off before he does, right? The one person left who can save him. I talked to Willie, Marilyn. He must hate the world. He doesn't hate anybody. Poor jerk. I think he'd feel even sorrier for you, throwing your own life away while you can still save his. You can't run away from this tin can, but you can untie it. You can climb down off that wall and ride over to Quentin with me. You can tell him George Farewell killed his wife. That the three of you and the little linotyper made a pigeon out of Willie. Ah. I held my breath. She swayed, looked down into the street, poising herself. Then she turned round and stepped onto the roof again. Let's go. Congratulations. Yeah. Only George Farewell didn't stab his wife that night. I did. We pulled up at Quentin with six minutes to spare. The foregoing Justice Benjamin is submitted in support of the stay of execution granted Willie Johnson and will be set forth in detail in Mr. Grayson's petition for a new trial. Period. End of report. Gee, Willie can say. What can I say? 
Well, I have one constructive suggestion. I could say you're the greatest, finest, most wonderful... Yes, but you'd only be repeating yourself, Cheryl. The proper line at this moment is, I shall have the report ready for you immediately following the next announcement. Right? Scoot. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Listen to the stars on this Sunday's big show. Jimmy Durante, Ethel Merman, Milton Berle, and Gordon McRae, plus Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. Your MC on the big show, of course, is the glamorous Tallulah. You're invited. Oh, yeah, yeah. What are you writing, Sam? Uh, look, how's this? Man of the world, dashing, debonair, cosmopolitan, temporarily at liberty, desires employment. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Thank you. What does it mean? Uh, all right, we'll drop it down a few notches. Private investigator, accomplished raconteur, will tell troubles to listening public. Nice telephone voice. Contact Sam Spade, 1 East 48th Street, New York. 1 East 48th Street? Yeah, my address during the summer months, Cherub. You got it? 1 East 48th Street, mm-hmm. New York City. Uh-huh. Oh, maybe a lot of people will write, Sam. I'm sure they will. Think so? There'll always be a Samuel Spade Incorporated. Will there? Look ahead. Smile through the tears, Sam. I am. The day will come soon again when... When the when... phone will ring and you will say... State Detective Agency. Yes, and I will say, <laughs> me, sweetheart, buck up, old girl, stout fella, stiff upper lip, good show. Not goodbye, but oh, reward, Sam. Hail and farewell. Good night, sweetheart. <laughs> Join us again next time on Mystery Radio X. X.